This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, folks. We are glad to be back in studio today on another episode of We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. Uh, I've got with me, as always, is Brian Travis, my co-host, and uh, man, it's been a little bit. It has. It's been a couple weeks. It's been uh, it's been crazy busy. We've got model year coming in right now, so we've just been going over the new new changes and everything. And um, we uh, got a call that our guest would be coming through today, picking up his new rig. And uh, we thought, what better way to end the hiatus than to have Davey Height in studio with us today? Yeah, and I don't think the timing could have worked out better. Um, you and I both have been waiting to get get Davey in here and talk to him. I know you more than myself have been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll rib you a little bit once he gets in here with us. But for the, for those out there that don't know, you know, Davey is somebody that Tim looked up to growing up, um, followed him quite a bit. I think Tim can rattle off more stats than Davey probably could. Um, but it even ended with you remind me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you painted a boat to match Davey's tournament rig. Am I right? I did. I had a. Uh... An aluminum boat that was originally hunter green and it became a white red and black aluminum boat when i was <laughs> done with it so did you catch more fish after you got it painted up i sure thought i did yeah um but yeah that was uh davy was a, a hero of mine growing up and i i really kind of get humbled sometimes in, in this industry and everything you look up to these people and then you get to become friends with them and seeing him inducted into the hall of fame and just being around him as much as we have and get to be it's uh Something I never really kind of thought that would happen when I was a 12-year-old kid painting the side of that boat. Well, and it, and it goes for Davey, but it also goes for all of our pro staff. You know, we're fortunate enough that we do get to see them, mm-hmm. speak with them on a regular basis. You know, we can call up any of our, our pros, and they'll answer the phone. We'll talk, shoot the breeze, how's it going? But at the end of the day, you hit the nail on the head. All of our pro staff are some of the most approachable guys. They are down to earth. They're humble they love to just talk fishing mm-hmm. and they love to just be around good people. So, you know, anytime you see them out and about, they are more than welcome and more than excited to talk to you, um, whether it's at the boat ramp or at a trade show or anything. Um, they've always been more than kind. And, and Davey, it speaks volumes of that. He's mm-hmm. one of the most humble guys we've been around. You know, his career has just been riddled with all sorts of different accomplishments and trophies and, you know, you name it, he's won it. Mm-hmm. it oh, it has. It's amazing. It's cool. And it's really funny, just uh, I remember the first time I met him, picked up his boat here. I'd been here like two weeks, and I was like, hey, Teresa, you think I can get a picture with Davey? <laughs> I was like, that. yeah, yeah, we'll go outside, we'll get a picture. And then now it's like on a first-name basis, and yeah. we'll even talk to him you know, here and there uh, on the road or whatnot. So it's been uh, it's kind of cool just to see that all happen. Well, it is, and I'll tell you something along the way that we've learned about Davey just talking here and there, and I hope he talks about it a little bit. It was a difficult decision for him and Natalie when he got into pro fishing. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't the cool thing back then when he got into it. And I know as a family, they made that decision, he and Natalie, and broke it down into pretty big details as to whether that was something for their family. Um, hopefully, we can get him talking about that because that's a really neat story as to how he got started. You know, he didn't look at it as just about, can I catch a fish? He looked at it as providing for his family. Oh, he did. And, and then to even make that transition to, having so many years of success and being on this, and this is basically what you've done since you left the armed services, uh, is a professional fishing career, and then you decide, I'm going to go a different way. Yep. And uh, 
went into to broadcasting and being on uh, started with the first look, you know, doing the the Sunday wrap ups and then and then transitioning into doing Bass Live and being with Tommy Sanders and Mark Zona and that whole production side where you've really seen him blossom and, and really been an integral part of that team and given his experiences and his outlook on that. Well, and, and think back, we talked briefly about, you know, him and Natalie's decision for him to fish professionally. So think through that career. Not only you told over the decision to where you're even going to go professionally fish, and then you get to fish a tournament and be shown on ESPN. You never would have thought you'd have made it that far. Then you're fishing on ESPN. You would have never thought you'd be a broadcaster that's going to broadcast on ESPN. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Like you said, going from being in the military to broadcasting on ESPN. I mean, it's nuts. And, uh, and especially it's something that, you know, he didn't even plan on. No. It, 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 he got it and enjoyed it and was good at it. And, and made all. It- all brought to you by a green and a brown fish. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing the, the paths that people can end up on in this industry, for That's sure. Right. It is. Well, I think he is done hooking up. Let's get him in here. Uh, maybe we need to eat a little lunch first, but y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back with Davy Height in studio. At Phoenix Boats, our passion for fishing is obvious. Whether it's a pro event or fishing with our family and friends, we truly love the sport of fishing. That's why our goal is to make every single Phoenix boat that goes out the door the best fishing platform it can be in both design and construction. We love to fish as much as anyone, and we believe it shows in every boat we build. Phoenix Boats, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. We have with us a very special guest in studio who really doesn't need an introduction from me. Uh, One of my heroes, one of my... Anglers I looked up to, but Bassmaster Classic champ, Forcewood Cup champ, two-time AOY, um, over $2 million in earnings, and now with a star-studded career as a Bass Live commentator, we have in studio Mr. Davey Height. Great to be here, Tim. It's uh, great, always great to, to come see you guys. Uh, the thing that – one of many things that I love about Phoenix Boats is uh, like everybody I talk to here, whether it's in the main office or out there that's building the boats on the floor of the plant, uh, they're fishermen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always great to be here. And we're glad to have you in here, Davey. I'm glad we got this uh, the schedule to work out. I know you're coming through on your way up to New York, picked up the new rig, but, but we're definitely glad to have you. Well, and before we get started and get too far into this, let's just go back a little bit. And Tim growing up. Oh, here we go. His adoration for Davy Height. We've heard it since day one. He came here on his interview, and uh, you know he looks at you a little more and a little bigger than just an angler that he watched growing up. That doesn't even begin to describe the the honor he gives you, buddy. You're, let's put idol around that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let, let's just go ahead. Well, and get I appreciate it. that. But I, I, man, I love to tell my story not because it's about me, but because it it makes I think some people realize you know that dreams can come true. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I, you know, I. I learned to fish out of a 14 foot aluminum, uh, started off with a, a 9.9 and graduated up to about a 25 or a 35. And that, that was my training days on Lake Murray in South Carolina. And, uh, was raised by my grandparents. My parents divorced when I was like five or six years old. Uh, and my granddad fought in world war two, uh, hard worker his whole life, but they had, I mean, I, I, we were rich because I never went hungry. Mm-hmm. I never, uh, I never needed for anything, but gosh, we, things were tight. Mm-hmm. Things were tight. But, uh, you know, you, you, you just, you just, I love to tell that story because so many people, and, and I see a lot of the young anglers now, the high school anglers and even some college anglers. Uh, my sons were a prime, prime example, especially my older one thinking that 
man, I got to have that uh, 21-foot Phoenix with a 250 on it to, to have a chance to compete at the mm-hmm. club level. And that's what we all want to do is to be in that boat, but you don't have to have that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I, I've just been been very, very blessed and and uh, in so, so many ways. So it's, it's great to be here with you guys. Well, that was a interesting little comment there. So your your grandfather served. Did your did your dad serve? My dad did not. Um, my grandfather did. Uh, he was in World War II. Was over in Italy mm-hmm. um, during the during the battle itself. And uh, then my dad was was never in the military. But but I was in the military for fourteen years total. Right. Ten years full time. Uh, it's crazy that I, I wore I actually wore combat boots and camouflage clothing uh, to work for ten years. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and I, I appreciate that time and all the great people I got to know in the, in the military. And then now I have two sons. My oldest son is an Army captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my youngest son doesn't really care to be in the military. He's, he's right. patriotic and yeah. loves his country but uh, does not care. He he doesn't want to travel and be away. And to be quite honest with you, as a dad, my son is about to be deployed to Germany for a few years and maybe even to some other places over in Europe. But um it, I'm so proud of him in so many mm-hmm. ways, but then also, uh, gosh, you hate to see your son that far away. And either I have to go to Europe or he has to come back on leave mm-hmm. and be able to see one another for the next couple of years. Right. Now, he um, he started off at Newberry and then ended up getting into West Point. He did. Which is an interesting story, and then graduated yeah. there. Uh, yeah. That's got to make you a proud dad. It, it does. And, uh, you know, it's because West Point is, is a process to, mm-hmm. to be accepted there. There's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through, uh, rightfully so. It's, uh, it's a, quite an honor and um you know two years into newberry college he said dad i want to do something else i'm thinking uh, you're going to go to school somewhere and then <laughs> he's like i want to go to west point i'm like what mm. so uh i said i'll help you do everything i can but you know that's going to be up to you because they look at the they look at the individual and it, mm. they're very uh it's a very uh rigid uh process to be uh to get a nomination and mm. then to be uh, accepted there at West Point, so super super proud of him. He takes after his mom in a lot of a lot of ways uh, to be able to be accepted and have the academics, and he did quite well after he got up there. Well, I was listening to actually a podcast the other day about the West Point, uh, the Army's lacrosse team, their lacrosse coach, and you know last year they they only take twelve hundred kids, eight hundred of them were their high school's varsity captain of some way, shape, or form of a sport. Wow! Yeah. And they really pitch it more as a leadership academy, yeah. in addition to being. A military institution but yeah it's a it's impressive to get in yeah if you never had a chance to actually be there me being in the military uh, i'm certainly new of west point um but if you've never had a chance to be there if you're in that part of the country it's certainly uh, a, a trip that you wouldn't regret going a lot of, a lot of history there mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of our world leaders went through there i mean from you start with george washington and just keep on moving and you yeah. can go to, to modern day um so uh it's uh, very, very proud of him. Uh, he's quite the commitment mm-hmm. uh, for his career and for his country. Well, speaking of careers, we made the move from uh, National Guard to bass fishing. What yeah. was what was that conversation with Natalie like? Well, um, I will have to give her credit. Um, it's something I want to do my whole life. Mm-hmm. But but being a father at that point of, of one-year-old Parker, my oldest son, uh, Peyton was not born yet, um, I, I want to do it, but I was I was nervous because I always wanted to provide for my family. I saw what my granddad did and how he was so committed to put food on the table and, mm-hmm. and to make sure we had, you know, we were warm when things when it was cold. Well, we didn't have air conditioner, but <laughs> we never got cold. We had a fireplace. But, he made you warm year round. <laughs> that's right. So um, 
um, I always wanted to do that, and it, I was nervous. I, I wanted to pursue my dream. Uh, I, I dreamed of being a professional fisherman from the time I was 12 or 13 years old, and that's common now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't real common in the 70s when I was, you know, late 70s when I was that age um, because there was no high school bass fishing. There was no college bass fishing. So um, it was a very crazy dream for, for a kid, and, and all of the teachers and my coaches in you know, middle school and high school just thought, you know, Gosh, this guy's crazy to, to dream to be a professional fisherman. And I played high school sports, and um, that kind of fulfilled my competitive desire. And then when that was over, um, mm-hmm. I was – and I fished tournaments. That, you know, I started fishing there again. It was uncommon for to see a 12-year-old at a bass tournament in 1978, 1979. Mm-hmm. But now it's not. Right. Um, so I started fishing tournaments extremely young for back then, but uh, – when I, when I couldn't play uh, high school sports anymore and, and join the military, um, I, all my competitiveness was on Saturdays at the Wildcat tournament or the club tournament or, or what, what have you. And uh, I just I just wanted to keep going up to the next level, to the next level. And then I got to a point where um, I was having a lot of success in team tournaments and some draw tournaments locally, not only in South Carolina, but, you know, the other Georgia and a little bit of North Carolina. And uh, – I came to a point in my career with the with the military that I knew I was holding myself back because I really wasn't putting a hundred percent into that. Mm-hmm. But then also with the fishing, I, I had kind of came to a, a line where it's like you're going to have to try to do this full time professionally, or you need to let it go and really pursue your your career as a mm-hmm. national guardsman. And man, it's tough. It's it's real easy to to think that boy, I just do it. But yeah. but I had a very comfortable middle-class job that you know the paycheck was in the mail every two weeks mm-hmm. um and it, it was just tough but i have to say my wife just knew that i mean she supported me and not many wives will tell their husband yeah quit your job and go pursue your childhood dream i mean mm-hmm. i realize that but then even with her being supportive i was cautious of it um but the one thing tim that i that i'll i'll always have to tell everyone the thing that i was very nervous about it but the the thing that that put me over the edge to give it a try. I did not want to be 50, 60, 70 years old and say, could I have competed against those guys? Mm-hmm. Failure did not um, scare me as much as not trying. Right. And and to each his own. Um, you know, I, I know some guys that are great fishermen. They had super, super jobs that were paying really good, and, and maybe that step's a little harder for them mm-hmm. than it was for me. I had a good job, and I, I felt like if I left on good terms, Stayed in the military on a part-time basis, uh, and couldn't catch a fish. Then I could get back in, and, mm-hmm. and and things work out. So that I had that to fall back on. Um, so just just blessed in so many ways, so so many ways. Mm-hmm. And dominated the uh, the latter part of the '90s pretty quickly. <laughs> ninety six, well, ninety seven, ninety eight, <laughs> ninety nine. I mean, that second to Cochran was huge, and that had to be a, a symbol of some success. I know it wasn't a win. But man, no one, not a lot of seconds out there for classics. I mean, so it gave you some hope, right? It, it did, and uh, it, I, it, at the time, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me in fishing because mm-hmm. it's—I was the last guy to come into Coliseum, and in those days, that was the winner. Oh, uh, they looked at my fish and they thought I had more than Cochran total weight for the three days. I really didn't think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they were big eyeing my fish. But boy, what they were saying is what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so the more they kind of convinced told me that I had a little more than what I thought I had. I started believing them and, uh, I really felt like I, it was going to be super, super close. And, uh, 
So I was the last one to come in the Coliseum. Uh, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant with our second son. Mm-hmm. She was sitting there. I was afraid she was about to have a baby, and I might have one too. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 the one that she was having either. But anyway, um, so then then I stand up there. Ray Scott's got my hand ready to raise it up uh, on the Bassmaster Classic stage, and and it wasn't. L- at that point, it wasn't very many years before that. I was a spectator in Chattanooga mm-hmm. um, and sitting in the upper deck dreaming to fish a classic. And all of a sudden, Ray Scott's got my hand. I'm the last guy weighing in. And instead of raising my arm, he let go of my wrist and raised George Cochran's. And mm-hmm. gosh, it was uh, it was uh, deflating to say the least. But you're, you're right. After, I, after everything settled out and I, I thought about things, I, I had actually won the last regular season event that year. And, and those were the top 100s, mm-hmm. equivalent of what the elites are right. now. So I'd won an event, and then I'd finished second in Classic. And I was like, man, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, you know, I, I just, like, wow. You mm-hmm. just you just bear down and focus, and, and, and you can do this. Mm-hmm. It, it gave me a, a tremendous amount of confidence. That's excellent. That is pretty interesting. How did you go from... And I know a story too that you've told about Parker telling yeah. you that he was upset and you thought he was so upset about the the tournament, but he was upset yeah. about the boat ride that someone yeah. told him he was about to have and you prom- made a promise to him yep. that he'd get a boat ride. Yeah, um a promise I probably should not have made because I don't care who you are. I mean to to promise you're going to win the classic is and and I've I've always been real adamant with my sons, uh, be honest with me and I'm going to be honest mm. with you. We're all human, and we're gonna all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But if you're honest with me, then I, nobody loves you any more than your dad. And uh, I think my children love me. So as long as we're honest, we can work through anything. We're all humans, and uh, you know I should not have promised him that. But <laughs> but at, at the you know at the time it was the manly thing to do. My son was was crying um, when I came off that stage, and I started crying with him. And he just kept crying, kept crying, and I got, I regained my composure. And it was just like the whole – everyone in Coliseum was looking at George Cocker and his family doing the victory lap in the, in the boat. And uh, it was just like he and I were in this bubble. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got him calmed down, I said, why are you crying? Because I'm like, man, at five years old, he's really crying about that $100,000 that I did, <laughs> did not win. And uh, so I was like, why, why are you crying so much? You calm down talk to Daddy. And uh, he pointed at George Cochran as they were pulling up after the victory lap, and he said, uh, they told me we were going to get to ride that boat. <laughs> and I looked him straight in the eyes, and I said, we will ride that boat one day. And uh, there again, it gave me the confidence after I got over all that. Um, but I really did bear down to mm-hmm. no end because I knew I had made that promise. And I guess I should have promised my – my younger son, I'd win three or four more. But <laughs> I, I just really, I just really got on a tear, and I, I really had the confidence to to know that I could compete with the best in the, in the world at that point. Mm-hmm. I thought that when I quit my job, but I really didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't, to be honest with you. So then I just, I just really bared down. I also realized um, when I'd won the last term and I finished second in the classic. Sponsors at that point were, were product, and I had a few paying sponsors, but it, not a lot, mm-hmm. not a lot of money. You know, two hundred dollars a month or something from this company and that company and the other company, and um, and I'm like, dang, I've been doing pretty decent here lately, and I realized to have longevity in our sport, uh, and I think this is still the case, and I hate to say that, but I, I really do. 
I think you have to win at least one of those major titles. I mm-hmm. think you have to win a cup, a classic. You know, the classic is the the one that gets all the attention, rightfully so. Uh, AOIs, I think you have to – until then, I felt like you live from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I'm right or not, I don't, I'd be glad to, to, to debate that with anyone. But, but I felt like – and I was being told by people that had been in the industry for a long time, um, whether they were fishermen or whether they worked for companies – that you really had to win one of those, at least one of those major titles to give yourself some longevity in the sport. Mm-hmm. Well, everywhere you go, you're announced as Davy Hike Classic Champion. Yeah, yeah. Which I think in an angler's mind, AOI is the, yep. the one. But as far as the public seeing what they see, you're always introduced as a Classic Champion. And I could definitely see that that being on a sponsor resume or anything like that as well. Well, I mean, when you get a resume like Davies, you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> like, I mean, well, you can't get it all. In no, I, I appreciate it. But I have had, I've had a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of bad tournaments also. I just, I really, and, you know, the swing for defense, I know that's overused, but I was a guy that um, I felt like he had to win. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at, you know, before I quit my job, and my wife being an accountant probably helped with this a little bit, but, I mean, I some serious thought went into that. And I looked at, I looked at guys – I'd look in Bassmaster Magazine, the classic uh, edition, and it'd show all-time winnings, mm-hmm. years fish, tournaments fish, those sort of things. So I'd just run the numbers, and you'd see guys that had – and I'm not going to say any names because I really don't have any in mind, to be honest with you, but I'd see guys that have been fishing 10, 15 years, and it's like, mm-hmm. and made the classic every year. Right. And it's like, is that a living? Mm-hmm. You take the expenses out and what they had won, it was like, and then you look at the the guys that, that would win, mm-hmm. and maybe their percentage of checks weren't quite as good. But they, you look and say, oh, "That's a living." Right. And then I'd also, I didn't know their deals it was none of my business, but I'm not dumb either. I see what's on your jersey, what's on your truck, what's on your, and I know those companies I'd gotten to know, and I'd gotten to put, you know, those were guys that not only were winning the most money, but I felt like they were doing better with sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, Combination of the two, and I'll never forget this, and I'll quit rambling so much, Brian. (laughs) But Guido told me, and Denny Brower, I don't know if they had talked about this together or what, but they told me on separate occasions, and I looked up at those two and Larry Nixon. I mean, there's some guys that, I mean, I just still, when I'm around them, I'm just like, you are the messiah of of our sport. Um, They both told me on separate occasions, you can make a living fishing if you just really catch them. You can make a living selling product and for sponsors if you're really good at that. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make a good living in the sport, you better do both. Right. And I've never forgot it. And those were two very successful people that told me that. Mm-hmm. On separate occasions. You beat, also beat them both in that classic. Oh, yeah. And Larry Nixon. I got lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And it's, uh, it definitely showed in your career. I mean, you surpassed $2 million. Not many people have done that either. Um, that's uh, Between both tours, I mean, that's impressive. Um so we go from this career to 2016, and you had dabbled some in, into the, the commentating. What made you, again, second time you've done this, leave your job for something new? Yeah, um, and a lot of people still to this day say, well, do you miss fishing? And I fish as much as I have in the last uh, 20 years. Now, when I was a 12-year-old and lived on a lake, I fished like every day. Mm-hmm. I might be bluegill fishing or I might be – if it's just the middle of summertime, I might be gar fishing. I mean, I was doing something on the water every single day. But I still fish a lot. But I had been thinking for, and to each his own, but I didn't want to be 
fishing the Bassmaster Tournament Trail, tra driving all over the country with the pressure of the tournament trail um, when I was 70 years old. Mm -hmm. I just I just knew that's that's not what I wanted to do. But then also I had been thinking, what are you going to do? You you know, I mean, there's there's kids that are up competing at a high level now that I remember when they were born. I know their dad that, that mm -hmm. competed. I mean, you, from the Van Dams to the Zona kids to the – I could just keep naming the – you know, Clark Will and I were roommates for quite a while. He's got two daughters, and, I mean, I've kept up. I've seen the, I've seen these families grow mm -hmm. up, and I didn't want to disassociate from and not be around them, and I knew if I wasn't in the sport of fishing, that's probably what would happen. So what do you do? And, uh, gosh, the, the first look thing came around, and and it was just an opportunity. The first look thing, I, I had no idea I would be doing this now. But it was something that, yeah, I, I want to be fishing on Sunday. But reality is there was 112 anglers fishing, top 10 fishes on Sunday. I don't care who you are. You're not going to be fishing every Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a way for me to get on camera where my deal was you don't have to pay me a dime mm -hmm. if I can wear my, my sponsor's uh, logos. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing it just, just because of that. I felt like I needed – if I didn't perform well enough on the water – I owed it to my sponsors. If I had opportunity to get in front of a camera, that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And it, it amazed me how much I started enjoying it. I never dreamed. I just felt like I, I had to do this for my sponsor kind of deal, but I started enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I really enjoyed seeing a veteran that hadn't won in a while win mm -hmm. and seeing that in him and seeing the, you know, the, uh, just the joy of winning again. And then also just as much would enjoy seeing a, a guy win his first tournament. I got the microphone and, and you're about to win and I'm the first guy that gets to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then I also enjoyed talking to the guy that almost won because I've been there too right. from the classic right on down. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, it was good and I felt like that the, the anglers that I was talking to other than I think maybe some of them were thinking, he's just trying to learn what I'm really using in my <laughs> techniques because he's competing against me. I, I, I think that the anglers uh, understood that, that I understood where they were. Right. Um, especially when a guy came real close to winning and didn't quite win. Mm -hmm. I felt for him because I've been there, done that. And, and you know, now just this last event, we were at Lake Eufaula. Got a lot of history there. I kind of know because I've been there and I've fished BASS tournaments. Headed up to uh, New York now. I've been there. Um, in high level tournaments, and I kind of know what's going on. I know a lot about the, a little bit about the good, and a lot about the bad, and the mm -hmm. mistakes you make, and the things you try to do, and they don't work out, and the things that are not in your control um, that just happen as part of bass fishing. So I, I enjoy it. And then it, you know, when they called me and asked me if I would think about doing it full time, um, I, I said, let me talk to my wife, and I talked to her, and she was all good with it, and um, it, it just all worked out, and. The one thing I, I want to do is give back to the sport. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't want to be a knucklehead on camera, and I don't want to be anything but as positive as I can be towards the fishermen because they are the guys competing. Mm -hmm. I know how tough it is, and I want to make them look as good and, and be as positive as I can. Now, if a guy loses a fish right beside the boat because he grabbed his line and tried to pick up, you know, might I say, uh, maybe he shouldn't have done that, something like that. But I try to be very positive because mm. those are the stars of our sport. The, first and foremost, I think the bass is the star. Right. And then our fans, we would not have a sport without either one of those two. And then the fishermen, the guys that get out there and pay the big entry fees and, and drive up and down this, uh, these highways and all across this country. Mm -hmm.
Well, that, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Um, have you found any younger anglers looking to you for mentorship since you've been there and done that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get I get a, a lot of questions from from younger anglers, and and I try to answer them. the 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 big thing about that, and here here this goes back to Guido again. I wanted Guido before I started before I quit my job. I got to know him, and I went fishing with him a few times. And I wanted so bad for him to tell me, man, you're good, or you're good enough to make it out there. And mm-hmm. he never would. And then one day I just finally had to ask him. I said, be honest with me. If you don't think I got it, what it takes. Because you get in a boat with a guy and you kind of tell, ooh, he's got a little, mm-hmm. little, not always, but sometimes you can. Um, especially if you fish multiple days doing different things. And he never would. And then finally one day I said, so do you think I'm not good enough? Because this is a tough decision for me. And he said, I'll never tell you to go. He said, because it's so tough. Mm-hmm. I would never want that on my conscience to tell you, yeah, go do it or don't do it. Yeah. Um, equally as much. So I won't ever tell a young angler that, uh, I'll tell them the good and the bad and the ugly. Um, but that's, gosh, our sport is no different than any other sport. Yeah. You talk to an ex NFL player or a guy that wanted to play in the NFL and he got cut off the practice squad. I mean, it's any sport we've got. I mean, you talk to golfers that were great. They were the best at their country club. And you start playing against everybody in the world. You go, Woo. See, and I I would think, you know, some of the things I know I would personally want some mentorship on would be logistics. You know, yeah. do I need to get there a day early so I can get a good good day's oh, rest yeah. before? Where do you stay? Where do you not stay? You know, how do you tell which group to hang out with and not? You know, um, who's going to be a positive impact on you? That kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I, I certainly do – uh, talk to young anglers about those sort of things, and I will be nothing but honest with them about yeah. that sort of stuff. The one thing I will tell you, several of the questions you said you might have is um, you better take it serious and you better spend your time focused on the sport mm-hmm. because there's guys, there's most of those guys will and do, and they will beat your pants off if you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can let your talent, it's just that way with other sports. Again, your talent, when you're at certain levels, your talent, or your work ethic, either one of those will, will carry you. But when you get to the top, you better have both. Yep. You better mm-hmm. have both. I think our sport's unique. I mean, you listed football. Brian and I aren't going to go run a 40-yard dash. We're going to get cut before we even get the, the, to the block. But our sport allows multiple people into that where it's, it is in between the years and it's talent and the time you put in, I think, that says what your level of success is going to be, not – physical ability necessarily well it's i agree i mm-hmm. mean it, our sport is one and i think that's what helped make me be successful in bass fishing is i think my work ethic is better than my talent mm-hmm. and and my wife uh, and i think my kids will tell you and i'm very proud of the way they work also but um i'll i mean i'll stay out there daylight to dark i don't care you know if it's snowing or if it's what you know i'm, I'm going to do that and and you know your homework when you're not at the tournament Mm-hmm. Um, it's just uh, work ethic is 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 so so important here, and and it's and it's unfortunate because work ethic a, a lot of times in our sport is time on the water. Right I, now, you can research, you can do a lot of things online, or you know do a lot of things now mm-hmm. that you couldn't do years ago. But there there are great fishermen that don't have enough time on the water, mm-hmm. and they've got commitments. They got family. They got kids. They got jobs. They got I mean they got all those things. Mm-hmm. And and there's a there's a fine line, especially in my generation, now with the high school and college, you can decide whether you want to make that leap or not before you ever really have all those obligations. But in my generation, so often a guy would have to be 
pretty dang successful as a business person or at his job, whatever he was doing, um, to have enough money to afford a truck and a boat and inch fees and traveling. Mm -hmm. And then when you get that successful, it's like, wow, I can't walk away from this. I mean, I know great fishermen that, that they were put in that position where, you know, if I leave this job making this and go try it and it doesn't work out, then I'm, Mm -hmm. and I'm back at square one, so starting back over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult decision. That's something you talking about the homework a minute ago. You know, you touched on having the internet now. Do you think a lot of the guys are taking time off the water, like say ten percent less time on the water to spend that on the internet, looking at Google Earth and things like that, or do you think they're adding that on top of their time on the water? I think it's uh, it would be smart to add it on top of time yeah. on the water. Say you're sitting in the airport somewhere. Say you're, say, I mean, really it's like terrible, terrible weather and you don't really feel like you can accomplish a lot being on the water that particular day. Then, then you substitute that other, that research. And I know a lot of guys do that, but, but you've got to have, you've got to have time on the water. Um, I mean, first and foremost, to land a fish, mm -hmm. to land a fish without a dip net, to land a fish without your partner having long arms and a, a long handle on a dip net. You've got to get that fish up there and get it in a boat and make that decision whether you're going to swing it or you're going to lip it or you're going to grab it or you're going to, you know, those those sort of things only come with, with time and experience landing those fish. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you doing to fill that competitive edge that puts you into fishing? What are you doing now as a as – a, are you taking up ping pong? Are you taking up tennis? I mean, what <laughs> – I'll tell you one thing. He's uh, pitching at eggs and busting them on the first go. Well, that's just <laughs> that's just God-given talent there, but – how did uh what, what what you got anything you joined a men's hockey league or something? Uh, no, you know I I just really I, I guess I live through my my kids now mm -hmm. uh, with my competitors. I, ever since they you know started sports, uh, and now they they both uh, they both play college sports and they they both are, are past that now. But my youngest son is a high school coach, mm -hmm. so I you know pull for the team, pull yeah. for them, you know that sort of thing. But I. You know, my competitive desire is still there. I mean, if we play cornhole or if we play whatever, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to beat you. But I, I just don't have that really, you know, as much as I did uh, mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. I got you. So how many times do you think your son – it's Peyton, right, that's the coach. Yep. How many times do you think he uses you as the example of back when I was your age, my dad had this <laughs> or that? Well, probably probably a fair amount. Yeah. He he and my my oldest son, uh, because my oldest son actually at West Point he was on the college fishing team. Okay, and the first thing he wanted was a either let him uh, use my boat or for me to call Gary and Teresa and <laughs> see about getting them a boat. And I'm like, because they were some college kids that had brand new, brand new rigs, and that's great, that's awesome. But they had a team boat mm -hmm. at West Point, and I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's your team boat. Troll motor didn't work half the time. Yeah. I mean, the engine would start occasionally, that sort of thing. I'm like, that's part of the college life, and you, you know, yeah. you need to, you you need to do that the the old fashioned way. Maybe maybe he hate me forever because of that. But I, <laughs> I'm just kind of old school when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah. You, um, you know, and I, I, I just think you kind of have to come up come up through the the trenches, yep. so you will really appreciate it when you get out of those trenches. Well, now that we've seen the Ufala tournament, which was on ESPN, did you think – I mean, you've been on ESPN fishing. Did you think you were going to be on it on a commentator no, standpoint? No, no, never dreamed. I but mean, that's awesome. It, it really is. Um, and, and there again, I I felt an extra uh, 
I guess nervousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Do you but get I, nervous? But I really wasn't nervous. I, I, I anxious. Yeah. And heck, I mean, it, it wasn't because of me. It was because I was. Uh, I wanted to, us to look good on ESPN. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted because uh, I knew you know, Jerry and I were good friends, and Jerry, that was Jerry's dream for us to be on ESPN, whether one or two. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, for an entire tournament, and that was the first time it had ever happened. Yeah, and now we got one right around the corner. It's going to happen again, so I, I just felt, you know, I I want to do well for the fishermen and for the sport. The sport's mm. been great to me and my family, and and I I want to do well for that. But I don't I don't get nervous. I get when I feel extra pressure that I need to perform for someone else. Mm-hmm. Then I it's just the I want to do well for someone else. And and, and in my fishing, um, I never I never really I mean. I know when I go out and give it 100%, I give it 100%. Mm-hmm. If I catch zero or 28 pounds, I know I did everything. I, I never leave anything on the table. So as far as me being nervous about what well, I'm going to go out there and give it 100% and, and let the chips fall where they fall. But then when you have children, when you have a wife, when you when you have a, you feel a, a, a responsibility back to the sport itself, mm-hmm. to companies that sponsor you, then you start thinking, I need to do this for them, and you start putting extra pressure on yourself. But it's something you should not do uh, or should be able to control to be successful in any sport. Because when you start putting extra, you know, fear, nervous pressure, all that stuff is self-induced. I mean, you, you put it on yourself. If, mm-hmm. if that's happening, I would say in most cases, I guess someone else could put a little pressure on you. But you let that happen. Or, or But um, I, I would never do that because I, I'm a true believer and I talk about luck, and I am superstitious a little bit about you know black cats and mm-hmm. number thirteen that sort of thing. But I'm really not. I like to joke about it. But I just think you know, you, you prepare and give it a hundred percent, and deal with good things and bad. And you can call right. it good luck or bad luck. It happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. I've had eight pounders jump off. I've had eight pounders. I got lucky and thought, wow, barely barely skin hooked, and I, I landed it. Um, but I. I you know, you just prepare as best you can, and, and you, you go live life. Mm-hmm. Now, are you a teleprompter or seat of your pants kind of guy? Uh, what what makes of, you feel better? Seat of my pants. Seat. And um, this is, I feel comfortable talking about our sport because all my, all my history in the sport, mm-hmm. and and a lot of that is knowing the bad times. It's not because I want a classic or or whatever. It's because I I know all the ups and downs. So I feel comfortable talking about it. So many times I was, I did exactly what I'm seeing a certain person do, mm-hmm. whether it's something good or something bad, or you, you have that question. I should go leave these fish and go to others. And he makes that choice. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've done the same thing. So I just feel like, um, now we'll have a, we'll have an, a general idea, maybe where we try to want to go with the, with the show at times. Right. Um, but, but I like to just just call it like I see it and mm-hmm. try to be as positive as I can towards our sport and, and the fishermen that are competing. Did it, did it take you long to get used to having somebody in your ear? Yeah, that's yeah. the most difficult part. I can uh, and what a lot of people don't – there again, you know, you, a Dave Mercer, a Mark Zona, a Tommy Sanders, people, the names that we all see, uh, don't realize that, that there's a lot going on other than just what you see on the mm-hmm. on the screen uh, – or if I'm on on the water live, you've got a director in your ear, um, and then like on Bass Live or the ESPN two that we're doing, there's commercial breaks, mm-hmm. and you need to try to finish a thought in three, two, one, you know, stop. And she Tommy Sanders is actually absolutely just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That. He is so good at what he does. 
I'm, I'm so amazed. And well, all of them are. And, and I lean on them. I've learned, I hope I'm a little better now than I was a few years ago. Um, but those guys, uh, there's a lot more going on. And, and like at the classic, you guys see, we're, we're normally in the expo and you got people all around. And a lot mm. of times there's it's somebody that's a good friend that I haven't seen in five years and they're waving at you and you're, you're trying to talk about the fishing. And then you've got, you know, the director saying, we need to do this. We need to go there. We're going to have so-and-so on the, on the next set. And he's from the, you know, he's an airborne ranger that was, you know, uh, in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just so many things going on. But, but you know, with anything, you, you get accustomed to that. But I'll never be as good as, you know, some of those guys. I mean, and Tommy is just, he's unbelievable at the way he can start and finish a thought right at the, the exact second. Now, have, you, have you ever had a gut feeling, like, let's say they're doing the live coverage and they cut from one angler to the other, and you just had this gut feeling, like, man, now's probably not the time to move away from this guy. And they move, and, and then that guy they move from ends up catching a big one or something. I have, but, you know, it's, it's a great team that I work with. And, yeah. and there's there's uh, there's a lot of people behind the scene. And um, you know when your mic's hot and when it's not. And if, if I see that happening, they'll trust me a lot of times. Or if Zona sees it or somebody that's familiar with the body of water, or yep. maybe. Th- and, and they'll go back mm-hmm. um, if I get a chance. Now, if my mic's hot and I'm and they won't do it, it just goes. But, but I can uh, – Sometimes I can relate to them, and, and there, there's so many people behind the scene, and it's it's something that that I've learned, um, and with the first look and knowing Jerry and Mike for so long, I I probably knew more about what goes on the production side more than a lot of fishermen, but gosh, I didn't know, I didn't realize. I mean, you you ask most people, how many people do you think it takes to make Bassmaster Live happen, and they'll go hmm, six, <laughs> and I'll go hmm, how about 26 yeah yeah. that many people working Mm -hmm. start with you got 10 cameramen Mm -hmm. i mean it's and the numbers more than 26 i mean in in the truck and production and da da da. i mean it's there's a lot of people behind the scenes to make a fishing show right happen live there's a lot going on and it it takes uh it takes a lot of you know and you have your you know, occasionally you want to be on somebody and we don't have enough sales service to be on them. And people, well, why aren't you on the leader? Well, mm-hmm. we, we can't, can't uh, see him right now. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of people behind the scene. Um, and it's, it's great to get to know those people. And they love the sport, the, mm-hmm. the people. Those cameramen, the, the, the Bassmaster camera people are just, I mean, they hold a heavy camera on their shoulder. Like at Ufala, it was hot. Oh, it yeah. was hot. And that black camera on your shoulder up, beside your head and your eye in an eyepiece sweating and, and they don't let it down. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the work ethic that Jerry demanded from those camera people and, and I'm not calling anyone out, but I know I had been with other production companies while they were filming me in a, in a tournament. And half the time the camera would be sitting on the back deck. Right. You catch a big fish and miss it. Yeah. Jerry, mm-hmm. Jerry wouldn't put up for that. No, <laughs> you better, you, you better. better have it. And, uh, they know whether you got mm-hmm. not. They know if all of a sudden the shot starts while I'm lipping, you know, a six pounder. Mm-hmm. Where's the Where's the hook set? Where's yeah. the fight? Where's the uh, Well, I was taking a break. You know? Right. And the, those guys. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but I'll tell you, it's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. Their, their work ethic and and their commitment to make a good show and make a good product is is really awesome. So, if you get the choice on the water or studio, where are you going? Uh, I don't mean to not answer your question because Zona <laughs> accuses me of not giving a direct answer. I talked with the, the people at Bass uh, when I was deciding whether this is something I could do, and I, I wanted to do both. Mm-hmm. 
Um, studio is a, you know, a good climate. It's 72 degrees <laughs> all the time. Um, you get a lunch break, you get lunch delivered. But I wanted to always be able to stay in contact with the fishermen. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to know those new names that were coming on because each year we have that turnover. And I wanted to, to be able to, to talk to the guys that I've known for, for 25 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I really wanted to do both, and I enjoyed doing both in, in, in different ways. So when it's, when it's cold, rainy, we're studio. Studio, yeah. Yeah, we don't care about the new guys. Yeah, uh, when it's nice, 72, sunny, five-mile-an-hour east wind, we're on the boat. Exactly. All right. You got to figure it out. <laughs> I got it. Now, we had talked earlier, and this is this is me with a question I've got that's been toiling around in here. We talked earlier. You said you still get to fish quite a bit. You spend a lot of time on the water. Do you still find yourself going out and practicing all the new techniques that come up and the new baits and everything and staying dialed in? I do. I do um, because I think that's real important for what I do um, for BASS, for what I do for a sponsor. For I, I think I need to stay in touch with all that. Um, but – I'd, I'd love to fish. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, good Lord willing, I mean, I'm going to fish until the day I die. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, at some level. Um, but but here's another thing. When you say that, I go fishing now. I want to try all those techniques and some new baits, some new product, that sort of thing. But, man, if I had a bait that was that I was catching them, to be honest with you, I tried to keep it a secret. And there, you, couldn't, you can't keep secrets very long now because of the, yeah. the live cameras in the boat. But... I would still keep it hush hush as, as I could. Now, I I catch everyone that bites and I tell I tell <laughs> about it. Yeah. You know, I, I just have a different mentality and and it's fun in, in a in a different kind of way. Yeah, I would leave fish. Uh, we could be on a lake that we didn't have a tournament scheduled for another year or two, or maybe I just know this is a lake. You know, it's Kentucky Lake. Maybe I'm gonna probably be back here at some point. I'd be so secretive about anybody seeing me catch a fish or seeing me run a certain pattern for too long and. People pick up on things, but now when they're biting, I catch everyone that bites. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's you know it's it's fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really really is. And you've had plenty of time to do that, I guess, uh, since we've had a little break and we're getting back into it. But do you fish much? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess they closed your ramps for what, like a week? Yeah, not not long at all. Not so, long. And uh, you could still put in if you you know had private property, mm-hmm. going to lake or knew somebody. And luckily, I was never without a place to go fish when they really had locked things down right after the classic, I don't know what I would have done had I been in a state that they totally locked down for a month or two. Cause I went fishing like every day. <laughs> I, I really did. I, I might not be there at daylight, but I, I went fishing every day and I yeah. would, I would go right by myself. You know, I was being conscientious of what was going on, but I would leave my house. I'd fix breakfast before I left. I would pack me a little lunch. I would go put it in a private ramp. I would fish all day and I'd drive home. Mm-hmm. About every third trip or so, I'd have to put gas in the truck or something, you know. I, but I, I fished right by myself so many days it wasn't it wasn't even funny. I mean, I, I really did. And I and I think, well, I'm not going to go. I've been the last five days in a row. And then that morning about nine thirty, I'm like, what am I going to do? Go <laughs> fishing again. That's right. Yeah. So, well, I know we uh, have a, a revised schedule. We got Santee Cooper coming up, but just because you were in that 2006. Was it 2006 Preston Clark were correct? Yep, yep. Do you think we were going to see that this year? Everything almost set up for it. It, it was, uh, had we been able to fish mm-hmm. when we did. And Santee Cooper is incredible. Uh, the the big fish uh, chances you have there. Um, there's there's other places that have the numbers. Other places in South Carolina that have, you know, the numbers-wise, you can probably catch more. But Santee, the reason I 
enjoy going there so much. Um, I just bought a place there uh, a couple months ago. Been wanting one there for a very long time. Um, to, you got a chance to catch an eight-pounder plus mm-hmm. anytime you go. Last year I caught, and probably I didn't have a place there, so I probably fished Santee Cooper last year 25 days. Mm-hmm. And I caught three over eight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, percentage-wise, that's like – if you fish a week, you catch eight pounder. That's that's pretty good. Oh yeah. I mean, and I wasn't going on all the perfect days. That was just just going when I could. Um, and you know, a lot of sixes and sevens. But when you start talking about catching a number of fish over eight pounds, um, that, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and in April, gosh, there's the the weather's stable. It's it's more you're more likely to catch a big fish in February, March, anywhere in the South, in my opinion. But April, everything's stable, and I think. Uh, could have broken that record, no doubt about it. It would have been cool to see. And maybe we'll see it again. But uh, So you guess you brought up buying a place. We know you got a pontoon, too. So, yeah, you, yeah. so you've also done some family stuff here in the off-season. Yeah. But uh, getting back into the swing of it, back at Eufaula, um, that felt good to be back, I'm sure, with the group and the crew and that, seeing everybody and just getting back to some normalcy. It, it did, no doubt about it. And uh, I'm glad we're going to get back going again because mm-hmm. um, this is what we do. Um, this is what – this is the reason, uh, other than my wife and my kids, I mean, this, I, I love to fish. I love to be around all my fishing family mm-hmm. and friends. And uh, I think, I think um, I'm no expert. I've just got an op- opinion. I think we need to try to live our lives, mm-hmm. um, be as safe and be as smart as we can. But, but you've got to, we, we've got to, we got to live. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's what I live for. Other than my wife and my kids, is to to fish and to be around my fishing family. Well, and you had another pretty special event in your family happen over right after you follow, right? I did. Um, so that's where I won my first Bassmaster tournament at Lake You Fall out of Lake Point State Park, and uh, I've got a, a picture of Ray Scott holding my oldest son Parker on his forearm. He was uh, three years old, maybe. Yeah. And uh, because my son stationed at Fort Benning, um, they had a, a travel radius of only fifty miles they could travel, so where they initially planned to get married. They were not able to go that far. He's about to go over to Germany. Uh, he and his fiance needed to be married before they travel overseas and, you know, with the military. And, uh, we had the, uh, the wedding there at Lake Point State Park. So it was absolutely incredible. And the, uh, the, um, chaplain that, that gave the, did the service actually mentioned, uh, being on the shores there where I'd won, Parker's dad had won his first event, and Parker mm-hmm. being a child, it was special to him. So that that brought some tears out of, out of my eyes. It really did. No, that's cool. That's really a cool way to tie it all in. Um, when are you heading back to New York? You leaving this week? I'm leaving uh, right here from from Phoenix, picking up a new boat, a 921 Elite, and taking that thing all the way to Lake Ontario, which so you, it can handle well. Do you take your boat every to every event? I try to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, on the water, and and a lot of a lot of the people will, will, you know they'll hire somebody to drive them around but I feel comfortable driving yeah. uh, my boat when I can um, and and I have a camera man or woman with in the boat with me and especially now with the social distancing I think it's best not to have three people in the boat riding right. if you can avoid it right so yeah that was certainly a determining factor um, on this one to and 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 if you follow of course that was only you know six hours away this is a, a haul going to uh, Lake Ontario, the St. Lawrence River, but I just feel better. Me and my 
camera lady, Ashley, who will be this week, um, just the two of us being in the boat together. Now, the off-limits days don't apply to you, right? They don't. I'll, yeah. I'll go fishing somewhere. <laughs> I, I've got rods and reels and, and wheel cast. <laughs> so do you, now you're going to be so you're going to be up there two weeks. So you're going to be on the water for both of these events. I will. Okay. I will because we we have to be tested. All the anglers were tested right. uh, this weekend, and and then all the staff and uh, everyone else will be tested uh, when once we get up there. And it just didn't make sense. There's three days in between. Mm-hmm. We had initially scheduled Zona to be on site for one and me for the other, but it's basically in, impossible to. For me to get back from there and get to Little Rock, him to get from Little Rock up there, get tested, get the results back, and all that sort of stuff. So right. I'm gonna stay the entire time fishing between those two tournaments. Not, I, you know, I don't fish on tournament right. waters. No, so I'm not gonna dare do that. But yeah, but there's other places to go. Oh, there's plenty up there. Yeah. That'd be cool to see. Well, You're, man, I'm kind of my eyes are kind of opened right now. The fact that you pretty much been training for this job your entire fishing career, like it sets you up. Like I never really put that all together, but how much it sets you up for success and. As a broadcaster, oh, it, it did. Um, just because of, I mean, I, I just feel comfortable that I couldn't. I, I I've told sponsors my whole career, and, and Phoenix is a prime example. If I believe in your product, if I have faith in the product, if I know the people that build the product, I can sell it. Mm-hmm. If I don't have any of those, I can't sell it. And I'm not going to try because I know I'm not going to do a good job. The to do commentary about bass fishing tournaments i can do it because i all i got to do is you know talk about my experiences and talk about what i think's going on in his head because i've been there and done that mm-hmm. if i had to go do commentary even though i love football I love baseball I love basketball I love all sports i couldn't do it mm-hmm. there's no way i could do it. tommy sanders could could do the super bowl oh yeah i mean he's because he's just a professional at what he does mm-hmm. i'm just a guy that i got a lot of a lot of bad stories and a few good stories that i can <laughs> tell about bass fishing that's awesome now, have you jumped in? Like, if you if you've got your boat and you're out on the road with everybody and going behind the circuit, have you found yourself trying to find a wildcat to jump in while you're up there? Or you just uh, kind of leave that not, be? Not close by and a deal like that. Um, I say that, but I do have a friend at Oneida that I might I might actually fish with him next week. Uh, yeah. A guy that I got to know years ago. Uh, he runs a Phoenix, by the way. Um, he was a co angler uh, many years ago on Lake Oneida. We've been friends ever since. Um, I might do something like that. Yeah. Um, Tim knows I'll jump in a little mm-hmm. tournament every once in a while. I, we were sitting in the dark of, was that last year or year before at the uh, Freedom Marine owner? Yep. Uh, not owner's tournament, Freedom Marine tournament. and That was, it was, uh, yeah, it was last year. No, no, it was two years ago. Two years, two years ago. ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah him yeah. and, uh, was it Parker? Parker, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they jumped in on that deal. Yeah, All right. we did. I still like to do that. Just, you know, just on the side, you know, yeah. if I feel mm-hmm. like I can just. Just have fun. That's I don't. Right. I don't want to. You know, sometimes you might people, especially around my local lakes where I grew up. People's like, "Oh, Davey, why are you fishing this?" You, I'm, like, I'm just here to have mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. I, I don't take it that seriously. So we'll run into Lester and some of the Wednesday nighters. You know, yeah. he'll still come around and fish some of them. That's where he grew up. Yeah. I mean, you expect to see him. That's right. We both got spanked in that one though. I weighed in behind a ten and eleven that year. Yeah, and I was. Wow. You were the MC, and remember yeah. that? Oh yeah, yeah, they yeah, sight yeah. fish those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to go eat the crawfish that Ken provides for us. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to weigh in my. They had four for like 30s, yeah. whatever, yeah, 10 and 11. I stuck yeah. my chest out with 18, 19. I was like, yeah. Well, you, you made a right. good check. Yeah. You made a good check. But, but yeah, that's uh, that was Gunnerfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, look, we've taken up your time. you got to blaze the road up to uh, to New York. But thanks for, for hanging out with us. And, and we've enjoyed it, man. 
Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate I, I, it, David. I appreciate you guys so much. I appreciate all the folks at, at Phoenix and what they do, uh, not only for me but for the sport. Um, you, if you look around, uh, Phoenix uh, helps a lot of different areas in our sport, and, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you next time.